It's great that you know there's a lot of the the beer world now talking about Birmingham really as this exciting new city because you know there's there's always breweries popping up like new breweries new exciting breweries and breweries that people are talking about in the scene a lot and a lot of it comes down to kind of like storytelling but Birmingham's got that the fact that you know there's so many new breweries that are taking the beer seriously and they don't seem to be incredibly kind of like overfunded or anything like everyone's kind of at a similar stage and a similar size and all kind of like pushing the boundaries of what they can do hello everyone and welcome to breaking bread the birmingham food podcast presented by food obsessed mates liam and carl i'm your host liam uh just me today doing this intro carl seems to get out of doing all his intros good for him i don't mind i like talking hope you're all well january is nearly over longest month ever but the end is in sight. Some absolutely awesome things on the horizon already. I mean, we went to Roxy Ballroom. We were kindly hashtag invited to Roxy Ballroom's soft launch last Thursday. That wasn't much of a soft launch. It was more of a crazy launch. It was awesome. There was a couple hundred people there, but it didn't really matter because it's that big. I think there's 10 full-size bowling lanes this isn't half-assed Roxy they do it all properly there was proper big American style pool tables we had a bit of fun on that I'm still rubbish at pool Carl whooped me a couple of times <laughs> there's a couple of bits and pieces Pac-Man which I was really happy about just a really awesome atmosphere we got to sample a bit of the food there's some pizzas and burgers flying about but it's always hard on them kind of nights you know to judge the food really can't wait to go back and have a, maybe a couple of games of pool and a game of bowling obviously the alleys the, the lanes were very busy on on Thursday that many people there it's nice to see a few faces that we knew it's always good fun obviously done the pen to plate then on the Friday afterwards that was really really good loved that absolutely loved that me Carl Sai Carlo Meat and one veg. Uh, Rob, the foodie boy, all done a, a course each for actual paying members of the public. And it actually went really well. It was very smooth. Kitchen was very calm. And the food was of a very decent decent quality. Shout out to Sai, who won it, unfortunately. <laughs> Forever the pantomime villain. Took it very well. It was really good. Seriously good dessert, though. It was very impressive panna cotta with like custard panna cotta with like a apple crumble salted caramel crumb some toffee apple oh it was delicious if you go onto insta you can see some photos from the day it was a great day carl had the time of his life carl's dish was really good really really good his mexican soup was probably one of my favorite dishes actually but awesome uh, ben taylor they're doing awesome things down at little blackwood again always keeping things interesting so we're very grateful to Ben for letting us all come and do that some other awesome things coming up tickets are now on sale for Taps Beer Fest down in Digbeth never made it last year but it looked awesome it's one of them things we missed and we're a bit sorry that we did miss it 
That's on the 27th, 28th of March. That's a Friday and a Saturday, I think. I think there's obviously beer. I think Glasshouse are running it this year. Glasshouse Brewery. Awesome brewery. There's some street food there, some music. As I said, tickets are on sale now for that. It's just the best way, I think, head over to their social, either Insta or Facebook, and obviously click the link and you'll find the tickets are there. It probably will sell out. I think it sold out last year, so... Make sure you go and get them tickets. On top of that, there's the Cheese Fest for seasonal markets. That's back on again this year. Obviously, we missed the Cheese Fest as well last year. We went to Burger Fest, which I think is pretty similar. It's on Saturday the 4th of April. Again, there's some street food and market halls. Usually got bake and punks and chances and other Birmingham cool things going on in the market hall. They got some live music and full bar and all of that jazz so that would be a classic as well as i said we went to the the burger fest and the one the food was awesome for one but the atmosphere was just brilliant real nice atmosphere out there so obviously that that's uh, nice and early into the spring as well just before easter another thing happening is again this year and it's it's funny because last time we met the lads from dig brew it was for Birmingham, no, it was for, it was for Beer Central Festival. We done a, had a little chat with them and an episode from there, and that's on again this year. That's on the 24th, 25th of July, and tickets have actually just gone on sale for that. So if you head over to their website and grab some tickets for that, really, really, really good day last year. You won't want to miss that. And from the same dudes, shout out to Greg and Tom. This year, they're doing a whole weekend of it. They've got a Bigfoot festival coming up. Uh, it's a brand new uh, festival. It's obviously got all the live bands, craft beer, everything you'd expect from Beer Central, but it's for a whole weekend. It's on the 19th to the 21st of June. It's at Ragley Hall in Warwickshire. And them tickets have just gone on sale today. So that's some exciting news there. That would be brilliant. Make sure you go and check that out. Go over to the social, have a little look. I'm expecting big things from that festival. Obviously, Central Beer, as I just said, was brilliant last year. Real highlight of the year. Hip-hop karaoke, original Patty Men. Just a real, real special day. It was class. So, yeah, make sure you go and check out all them things. load of things to look forward to. A few new openings coming up as well soon enough that we'll be able to tell you about God probably save it all for the next episode our next episode as it happens is one that we we love doing the charity ones obviously we've done the action for refugees charity one before and we're really happy with that and our next one is actually with well it's it's, it's quite inspirational actually it was with gail who's a fundraiser and work she's like the regional liaison for Parkinson's UK and we spoke to her and Barry. Barry is actually um, somebody with the condition. He he does talks and he represents Parkinson's and basically goes around businesses raising awareness really about the whole charity and the amazing things they do. So we're really happy to sit down and chat with them too. And we're proud to be able to bring out episodes like that 
so make sure you tune in we're gonna actually try and get that out for next friday so instead of two weeks you'll be just waiting one week for our next episode or get it edited and get it out for next week the main reason we sat down really was because they're doing the secret supper which they done last year it was around the jewelry quarter last year st paul's square this year it's at colmore other than for the fact that it's for charity and for a really good cause it's just awesome i mean there's free courses you get your free one course in three different restaurants if you know what i mean really good fun tickets are on sale for that too i feel like i'm plugging lots of sales but just want to let you know what's out and about and if you don't get the tickets now they probably won't be there when you go to get them so definitely tune into that next week obviously if you love what we do keep nagging you every week please rate and review us on itunes it really means a lot to us and it really helps us bang that birmingham drum and get it hurt the podcast heard by more people obviously our city is amazing we love it most of you listening probably love it so let's get it out to more people by giving us an itunes review or apple podcast review and get us up the algorithm get us into the charts i didn't realize we were actually in the charts but i just found out last week we were in them so I'm paying a lot more attention to that anyway on to today's episode today's episode is with two brothers ollie and harry uh, ollie is from dig brew and harry is from the food side of dig brew which is dough it's just being rebranded it's come out of its shell as its own kind of identity but obviously pairs very well with the tap room and obviously beer and pizza made in heaven who doesn't love that but yeah we have a really really good conversation really it was nice to sit down with lads we recorded from the tap room so it's obviously not a studio it's quite big there's some echoes there's some refrigerators going in the background there's some beer mixing in the distance it all adds to the atmosphere i'm quite happy with it so yeah, I mean this episode, it was nice to hear Ollie tell us about his hobby that he started while he was at university and how he managed to build that up and turn it into the awesome tap rooms and business that it is today. I mean, it's not just in Birmingham where Dig Brews loved, it's in quite a few of the national bars and stuff as well. I know the craft group use it a lot. Obviously Carl loves Dig Brew. This is it was Carl who kind of kept nagging at me to get this this episode done because he absolutely loves dig brew and the pizza's awesome too so yeah just two great lads doing great things so ladies and gentlemen harry and ollie hello everyone this is carl and liam breaking bread podcast uh, we're here today at dig brew slash dough with Ollie and Harry. How's it going, guys? Hey, yeah. Good, thank you. Good? Yep, very good. So let's start at the beginning, as we always do. Who are you and what are you doing? Um, so I'm Ollie, uh, owner, brewer at Digbrew. Um, we've been here just over two years now in Digbeth. Um, we're a craft brewery uh, in an old gun factory. Um, and we have a tap room where we serve the beers that we make on a Friday and a Saturday and also a Thursday now um, and then also a pizzeria as well um, all in the same space uh, which is called Dough um, is that enough of a 
summary? Is that a good enough summary? It's a summary. It tells everyone exactly <laughs> who you guys are and what you're doing, so that's good. So, as I said, we'll start at the beginning. So how did this whole place come about, the Dig Brew? Um, so, started personally for me um, in university. Initially, more of a like a space than a brewery as such. Um, it was a space for us to kind of meet up. So um, I studied art and the way that the kind of the course was organized is there'd be a massive room, not dissimilar to this one, which we're in. Um, and everyone would have a small corner space to use as a studio space. And we'd be there Monday to Friday until sort of 10 p.m., 11 p.m. every night um, working. But there wasn't a kind of a, show, a social space for us to meet up after after school and kind of hang out um and that kind of social element was a really important part of the course the problem was is that we were in central london and because we were art students we were simultaneously too poor to go to the local pubs and pay five six pound a pint and too cool to go to the student union bar so between first year and second year i built a a tiki hut bar thing um and i turned my studio space into that um and then we just kind of have drinks there every night and parties and we do things like have lectures and album listening parties and um, we started off just kind of buying beers in and then that kind of became a brewing project as well where we'd make beers and we'd make cocktails as well just to kind of give us that space and we kind of developed a real sense of community around that. Um, so that kind of like was the very early beginnings of, of this project um, and it graduated throughout the years, got slightly larger, became a bit of a business during the summer holidays. I kind of take that bar around and do events with it. And then following graduation, started to look at doing brewing more professionally and worked at a few places, did a bit of traveling, went to New York, um, came back and kind of decided to take the leap and start looking for funding to do this. So it was kind of, we've been in, we've been in Digba for two years and a bit, brewing here for about two years, but if you add all the years up, it's probably more of like a six-year thing so far. Yeah, so for you personally, what you've been doing yeah. is about six years, but this place has been two years. Yes. How did sort of the funding come about? Because a lot of people say it's quite hard to get hold of. Um, so I was about to say struck gold, but probably too much of a, too <laughs> too much of a pun. Um, so during the kind of the years when I was at university and, and doing this this beer and bar and cocktail pop-up thing um got to know a guy called peter towler who owns mad o'rourke's pie factory in tipton which is a really old food pub um and he became kind of like a mentor through the the pub game just explained how the politics and the economics of all of it sort of works so if i'm going in trying to sell beer if i'm going in trying to sell the idea of doing an event what are the kind of forces at play and what would make sense to most pubs? Because otherwise you're just going looking like a crazy person. Yeah. Um, so then that relationship kind of went on for two years or so with him kind of just offering help and advice at every stage. And then um, when I graduated and we started to speak a little bit more about what it was I wanted to do and there was the brewery as an idea, um, that kind of crystallized with the fact that the Pie Factory has always had its own beer brand called Lumphammer. Um, and the way that they work that is they kind of find local breweries and just contract out those recipes 
and just say, look, like, we need Lumpama Bitter, Lumpama Gold. These are the ABVs. This is the recipe that we've been using at this previous place. Can you do that? So that kind of gave me a bit of an insight into how the industry, like, that could work um, and how we could kind of get started. Um, so then we convinced him to front kind of half of the cash needed for this place. And then the rest was kind of stuff that I'd saved up doing this cocktail thing for the three or four years previous to that. Um, and then we just convinced a stupid lender to give us even more money and bought loads of stuff from China and, and just kind of winged it really. Um, kind of did a budget on the back of an envelope and hoped it would be enough. <laughs> um, so yeah, we like painted it all ourselves. We built the bar ourselves. We installed that ourselves. So that just came off a lorry. I'm pointing at the brewery and all the tanks. Um, just got dropped off, and they were like, "Yeah, well, good luck." And um, so we we got a forklift driver from the scrapyard at the end of the road to bring it in, and we like winched it up and put it down. So it's been it's been a kind of day by day process for the last sort of two years, just see what happens. How did you find the building itself? Like, how did that come about? Um, we were, we, uh, Digbeth was the kind of the starting point for this building. Um, Does it have to be Digbeth? Was that always in your mind? Like, or? Yeah, I think kind of having been an art student in London and having that, that kind of like sense of community there. Um, and then, you know, and there's these, there's different areas that people move into and, and everyone tries to like congregate in a certain space as like young artists because it's really important to kind of like have that kind of support structure around you. Like I was really conscious of like what area would be a good area rather than kind of like, oh, that's like a really good street in town center. Like, um, so I was aware of Digbeth and then it was kind of very easy to get the ball rolling with looking at places because the custard factory was here and it was towards the end of the previous ownership of the custard factory. And we kind of sent an email 10 seconds later, we had five or six viewings booked and kind of went around and we were really close to doing something in inside the custard factory. Um, we didn't because it got really strange when the old owner had trademarked certain brewery names and was offering them to us if we kind of moved in, which just got really weird. Um, and we kind of, we backed away yeah, from the it was deal. Bird's one of them. Bird's Brewery. No, no, no. It was just it was just Digbeth Breweries. I've got to do with brewery and 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 I wanted to do Dig Brew, which was like Digbeth, but slightly more kind of abstracted, so it made sense or could make sense like in other places. It all got a little bit strange, and then there was like different types of lawyers involved, not just like ones looking at leases. Um, so we backed away from that, and then thank God, like this place kind of just came out of nowhere, and it's on a. Because what this was probably derelict or something before, or was there any? It wasn't derelict. It, it wasn't in use. Um, it was a directly before us. It was just used as like a storage space for, um, I think, a clothing company sold clothes on eBay. Um, we were told it was a gun factory before. I can't remember the name of the company. They made the kind of air-powered pellet guns, British something something BSA. I think it's BSA. I could be making that up. Um, and then actually, the uh, the previous owner of the building came to the tap room like two weeks ago. Um, his son just was in. He came with some friends, and he was. He said he was standing, and he's like, "Wait a minute, I've been here before." And then he realised it was his dad's old factory. So then he bought his dad, um, and they used to make handles, 
handles out of metal. And he said he had nine, at one point he had ninety three workers in this space, um, all just making handles on like um, steam powered machines, um, which was amazing. Um, but yeah, we found this space and it was just it was it was massive and a, just a big blank canvas really and and had to kind of go for it. Um, so we're kind of still growing into it really. How old were you then when it was all kind of going? Just out of university, was it? Um, yeah. So I graduated in the May. So I was a year out, two years ago. It was 24, I think, when we were just starting to get the ball rolling with Tigbuff. And then probably, well, I probably had a birthday, so about 25, when we first kind of got the keys and everything. Did you like, get any pushback or negativity or anything like you know from the industry? Like... Um, not really. Not, I think in hindsight, no. I think at the time I was concerned of, of, um, of kind of not being within the kind of Birmingham beer scene before we started here. Like obviously I'm from Wolverhampton and I'd been in London for the past sort of six years or so. Was there many beers around at the time? Like, like it seems to have exploded now this last kind of two years, but. Um, I think we came just just after it started, really. With with Burning Soul had been open a few months um, and and like doing their thing, and um, Glasshouse had been around, you know, probably I'd say six months before we got started, and very much on like a small scale now, and they've like scaled up. Um, so I guess we we, especially now that it's really exploded, um, you'd put us in that kind of early category. Um, yeah. Whereas at the time we were very much like the new ones jumping on the bandwagon. I hope we have kind of like. How were your peers? Like, how was burning the lad? Uh, well, I say lads, obviously. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not lads. <laughs> <laughs> but how how did Burning Soul accept you and Glasshouse? And oh, great! Like with open arms, really. Um, probably just you know you just get worried yourself, don't you? Yeah, um, it could go either way. They could see you as competition, or they could see you as like, was it um, all ships rise on a high tide or something like? Yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's always been like that, really. Um, and it's great that. You know, there's a lot of the the beer world now talking about Birmingham, really, as this exciting new city. Because you know, there's there's always breweries popping up, like new breweries, new exciting breweries, and breweries that people are talking about in the scene a lot. And a lot of it comes down to kind of like storytelling. But Birmingham's got that the fact that you know there's so many new breweries that are taking the beer seriously, and they don't seem to be kind of like incredibly kind of like overfunded or anything like everyone's kind of at a similar stage and a similar size and all kind of like pushing the boundaries of what they can do it gives people something to kind of like talk about and now you can go to Sturchley and you can go to like loads of craft beer bars and you can go to Glasshouse and you can go to Attic and there's like you know it's the beginnings of like a beer trail there or like there already is a beer trail and like we're kind of outside now in Tigbuff but that's fine I like it like that and people can come travel to us and just gives people something to kind of like explore and get their teeth into really you all help each other out and kind of yeah i'm always borrowing like things that we forgot to buy <laughs> i think i end up doing it more than most <laughs> um yeah yeah so it's it's kind of good had to borrow a hose from attic the other week because our pump broke things like that stuff like that happen quite often little bits and pieces break down and well I, th- I don't yeah well i say not normally we're okay or at touchwood we've been fine and then two weeks ago i think literally everything just broke all in like not even all at one go. So you could be like, right, everything's broke. Let's fix it. One thing would break. You'd fix that and then you'd start again and then another thing would just go. So, 
death by a thousand cuts just keeps cutting you down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think we've come through it. There's not much left to break, so no. we've fixed it all. You know, they say when like a human Touch body points. replaces itself every seven months. Yeah. No, seven years. Seven every seven years, years yeah. the cells have all changed. Like that's happened with our brewery in one ever. week. <laughs> Has anything seriously gone wrong since you started where you thought maybe this could be the end of us or is it? No, I wouldn't say so. Um, it's obviously been a big undertaking, like in terms of like the amount of work that you've had to put in and like the financials of it. Is, it's 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 a lot bigger than we kind of ever anticipated, really. Um, when you're brewing on like a homebrew scale, you think, oh, God, that's expensive. That's 50 quid. Um and then you start to scale up and it starts to kind of get get silly, really. Um, I think one thing that we realized early doors was that um, we really would have to scale back our ideas as to how much beer we could sell out into the wider kind of trade. Um, we, we, we hoped to like sell a lot of it here, but we didn't really anticipate quite how much because we're doing about 80% here now. So we've had to kind of rethink how it is that we're going to kind of go about brewing and like how it is that we're going to kind of go about selling those beers out into the world um, because there isn't that much left to push out into the world. Um, so we've had to kind of go through numerous expansions and we've got more planned so that we can get more beer out. Um, those have been the kind of major like difficulties really is like how do we make more without... Yeah. Do you do find your beers in quite a lot, especially in Birmingham because that's where I go out, you tend to find your beers in a lot of the fridges. Yeah, in most of the places here. So you're looking to expand on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the canning has helped us get kind of like far and wide. Um, but it's just the the situation with the like the beers that we'll put into kegs is we may only have let's say ten of those kegs available um, once we've kind of reserved what we need for our tap room, and then that can go in the blink of an eye, really. And some of that will go to Birmingham and the rest can kind of go all around the country and, and it kind of like, it, it, it disappears very, very quickly. And because we want to continually push the boundaries of what we do, we very rarely brew the same thing twice. Like we'll bring things back and brew it again and see if we can improve on the last time we did it. But we are often kind of saying, well, we've tried that. I want to try a little bit different this time. So that's a new beer and a new beer. Um, but if it's only kind of getting into two or three places in Birmingham, it's difficult for that kind of like, storytelling to happen and people to kind of like get on board like well i tried like the three ipas that you bought out in june unless you're very lucky <laughs> to like be at exactly the right place at the right time um you won't have so then the only way to do it is to kind of come to us um which is nice but it's kind of that's the challenge for the future is how do we how do we um push past that or do we want to push past that so that's yeah, what we're thinking it's a nice about really bar and it's big and it's definitely original for Birmingham there's not many places where you're actually sat in a brewery mm -hmm. and you've got this cracking long bar and there's just loads on offer and there's like a menu of beers like, yeah 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 that is a nice thing about the place and I can imagine when you started like selling it all over the country may not have been the original intention was it just oh no the certainly not I like selling it all over the country sounds very grand um it's more and what i mean by that is more that the kind of the craft beer scene made up of breweries not dissimilar to ours that we kind of look up to um that's a kind of a nationally celebrated thing so it's not like located just in one area um there's people that are drinking um contemporary craft beer from like small independent breweries 
kind of all the way up through the country. Um, so if you kind of put yourself within that category of brewery, you're going to be finding people interested in you all over the country. And yeah. and you want to kind of get reach out and kind of get beers to them as much as you can. Um, Stuff like Beer Central, the festival that travels mm-hmm. around, that must really help. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you started the place, uh, how many beers did you start with? Mm. Well, we had two lagers when we first started that we'd made during the refurb um, that we did with a brewer from a brewery called Weinstefan, which is a a brewery in Munich, um, the oldest brewery in the world. Um, So he came over and he helped us make them. Um, Digbeth Lager and Digbeth Imperial Lager. Um, that was probably our opening week, and then and then kind of ever since then we've sort of been releasing one or two beers a week really. Um, since then, how many beers do you think you've made in total from start to finish? Um, different beers. It would be over a hundred now. Wow! Certainly, I would be able to get you the numbers, but. Over on that's still yeah, a lot of beers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of ideas. Where yeah. do the ideas come from for all them beers? Um, they evolve really. Um, out of, I suppose there's different starting points. There's times when like you're, you you can try someone else's beer. And you're like, I really want to see if I can do something similar to that, or like I really like this element of it. I'm going to try and copy it to a certain extent. Um, and then once you've done that a few times, you start to kind of like do that with your own beers. Um, so you think, well we've managed to achieve this and this and this with this beer, um, but we didn't really like the fact that, I don't know, like the hop kind of aroma faded so quickly or, or we feel like, you know, there's there's something that more could be done with trying to get some more body in there or something like that um, or different kind of like yeast profiles. And then you kind of just start to tinker with things yourself. And then once you've kind of done a recipe, kind of four or five times you kind of like happy that that you've kind of like got the most out of that recipe that you can um but it's kind of like you wouldn't be able to do that and you wouldn't have that kind of learning curve if you just brewed the same beer four times in a row you have to kind of like go on a journey and try to do some other things see what you can learn from them try different ingredients try different processes and then come back to it and then try and try and push the boundaries over and over do you have a favorite brewery or a brewery that inspires you or it doesn't uh, have to be in England, it could be anywhere. Well, when I went to, uh, uh, so after I graduated um, art school, I my first job was making log cabins, which was which was great, um, but also really hard work and, and not something I could see myself doing for much longer. Um, so then kind of got into looking at doing the, seeing about the possibility of finding a way of funding a brewery um i went to new york for a month um to spend what was left on the credit cards um (laughs) and kind of like going to the other half um in brooklyn when i was there was a real kind of like moment of doesn't matter like just make it happen like you can you know this is like super super exciting so that was like definitely that was the moment that i kind of decided that i wasn't gonna do anything other than this before that a kind of like a brewery that was my awakening i suppose as a student was howling hops which is in hackney wick um they've got a really big tap room and they serve all the beers out of conditioning tanks and you know it's like a 19 year old that was a 
kind of a massive eye opener to like the possibility of 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 beer beyond kind of the German styles that you'd be able to get in like pubs in Wolverhampton if you were really into beer you might be able to get a little bit of kind of Munich based breweries in the off license and that would be about it um, so yeah I'd say like which is a very cliched answer really of the half <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <laughs> is there anything you started making and from the beginning that you've still got it and you haven't changed the recipe a uh, conditioning tank is um, the the final kind of tank that you would go into with the beer before it ended up into cans or into bottles or into kegs or whatever. Um, so it's it's um, after fermentation has happened, you then condition the beer um, colder generally, and that's where you'll carbonate it as well. Um, so yeah, they were serving it beer straight out of the tank. My questions were related. You changed because <laughs> you mentioned conditioning. I just. Is that not tradition? Is that not traditional way you do things, or you made it sound like it was something different that you'd not seen before? Uh, I'd certainly not seen it on that scale. They had probably like two thousand liter conditioning tanks all along the bar. I think probably ten of them um, with just like beer taps in the side. I suppose a traditional a traditional method of of conditioning beer in in the UK is cask conditioned. So rather than going into a conditioning tank, and that's where you can kind of chill it down the yeast will come out of suspension you can take that yeast away or you may have already taken the you know you may have already like removed the yeast before you've even got into the conditioning tank cask conditioning is is that final process happens inside the cask inside the pub cellar um and that's why cask is a kind of like niche thing that we only really do in the british isles um really um and it you can have like a good cask pub and a bad cask pub and someone that looks after it well and someone who doesn't um if it's tank condition, that's where that kind of like higher level of consistency comes from that you'll find in like keg and canned beer because it's kind of gone through that slower, colder process and finalizing and carbonation and it kind of stays where you've put it to a very certain extent. It does change a lot, <laughs> um, but it's not as much as cask can change in the blink of an eye. Cool. So is there any beers that you had from the beginning that you've still got now? on the taps um there isn't there isn't I'd, i there's um there's certain styles that have been a constant all the way through um but we've kind of we've kind of right from the start um i wouldn't say there were there's certainly uh still a four and a half percent lager um but we've changed the yeast that we used in now. We changed a lot of the malt that we were using as well. Um, so it's, it's, it's a relation to those early beers. Um, I suppose the beer that we've had the longest is one called Optimo, which is a 5.2% pale. Um, it started life just as a citra single hop. And it's kind of gone through lots of different versions using different hops and different yeasts and things like that and that's something that we've kind of like always used as a benchmark it's like well kind of like is there anything that we've learned in the last sort of two months that we can take back to that beer and we'll see if we can like improve it with those things or see what changes we're likely to find with those those new processes or those new new ingredients um so optimo would definitely be like that 
if that's the kind of closest thing we've got to a core beer. Um, Is there any flavours that you've wanted to make but you haven't been able to get right? Um, I'd say, yeah, I guess and it comes out to like, it's like a style as well. Like we haven't really been able to make very convincing imperial stouts. Well, I say imperial, I can't have anything over like 7%. Um, the struggle is, and I think we think this is a process one, but it's such making beers like that is a very kind of like costly thing because the amount of ingredients that you need goes through the roof and it just makes it a far more kind of expensive commodity. So it's more difficult to sell it on. So you can't just like get through it in the tap room over a week. Like you will sell that beer slower because not everybody can drink. Yeah, it's usually 10, 11%. Nine, yeah, nine, yeah, 10%. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's usually very um, strong stuff. And it's just kind of back down to like the, the size of the, the kind of the hot side of like our mash and things like that. We've kind of played around with different processes of doing double mashes, triple mashes. Um, and we're actually brewing a double IPA tomorrow, which we're aiming for about eight and a half, nine percent. So we feel like we've got a theory as to how we can make it work on a brew day that doesn't take sort of 18 hours. Um, and we hope that kind of like the theory holds, <laughs> um, but we'll see. That's the kind of like the next thing is if we can, if we can really nail that, then, then we'll be happy. Um, and then something that we really want to do is, is kind of mixed fermentation and wild fermentation beers. It's not something that we'd be able to do in this space, given the kind of risk with wild yeasts in the kind of area that you want to keep clean, but that's an ambition that we have very much. So we're just trying to find a solution to it really and like figure out how we can make it happen. Nice. Um, so we're obviously food as well based on this podcast and you started off with pies, didn't you, originally? Yeah. So given the connection with uh, Pete Towler and the pie factory, uh, when we first started, um, I'd say we ran out of money. Yeah, we ran, that's the correct thing. We ran out of money. <laughs> I was going to say, we, I'd say we overspent on the budget, but there was never a budget. It just sort of ran dry. Um, so um, we, we didn't get a chance to like properly install a kitchen when we first opened. Uh, so the solution was we were going to buy pies. That, well, I say buy pies. We go to the pie factory, make pies, bring them here and serve them. Um, and it was great to start us off, uh, but it was never kind of our ambition. Like we wanted to do something that we could keep as much of the process on site from a kind of production point of view as possible um, that would mirror the brewery. So you could kind of come and you could, well, you wouldn't be able to see us brewing because we do that at five in the morning before you come um but you can see the kind of production site and you can see that the beers are in the in fermenters and like we're you know you're more than welcome to try beers that are still in during fermentation and conditioning like we'll happily get those out for you you can taste them um and then the bar kind of like it's just bolted onto that and then we wanted the kind of kitchen to be exactly the same other than that that was kind of where we started and we were, we were thinking of many different things that we would we could kind of like do um curing meats was something that we thought as a potential um because that could all kind of be done visibly um but then we landed on pizzas after kind of a few months of conversations really as to what would be most appropriate and most befitting in this space so we revolutionized the world and added pizza to beer <laughs> <laughs> which no one has ever done before no it's brand new concept. <laughs> yeah, completely new concept so yeah, that was it. And then we kind of like it, it, it you know, we started off doing like a hundred percent sourdough bases and all the rest of it. And like it, that, that, like, like I said about like learning more about brewing as you go, it's like a very evolutionary kind of like process and 
it's kind of built us up to where we are now, which was never called dough. It was just pizzas in the back of the brewery. And then the we kind of like looking back on it, we noticed the kind of like the development from where we'd first started about you know, eighteen months ago up to where we were now. And it was like, you know, this 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 thing has become its own its own thing really and we need to do it justice and think about how we can communicate what it is and like what um and what what's exciting about it as a thing separate to the brewery like it's not just yeah a bolt on anymore so is this where harry comes into play i think so (laughs) so did you get involved in the process did you come up with the idea of pizzas or um well i guess i was always involved from the day i started painting this place six months before it opened yeah to the day well, to to this day, um, and I was a student still at the time, so I studied in Bristol. Um, so once I'd done that, I'd always sort of wanted to be involved in food. Never had any experience really in it, and I mean, I, I ate enough pizza, so I guess it's a a good starting point. Um, and like, it's just like a match made in heaven, isn't it? Pizza and beer, keep it simple, do it right, and then you can't really go wrong. Um, but no, yeah, just sort of threw myself into it, um, and loved it really. And that's where sort of where we're at now, sort of learnt a lot and we like finally launched the kitchen after sort of about a year of sort of finding my feet, learning as much as I can about bread and dough and pizza. So have you been with Harry, um, sorry, have you been with Ollie the whole time, like, um, from opening or did you join a bit later or? So... I guess during my time in like my holidays, I'd be here at the brewery. Um, but I guess sort of the first year of its setup, I wasn't because I was studying in my final year. What did you do at uni? Physics. So oh. quite far, <laughs> quite far away <laughs> from pizza. Yeah, yeah, that's what they say. But um, no, I think I sort of I love studying physics, but it sort of going through the whole uni process sort of made me realise that. I need to be a bit more like have like a creative outlook because physics is very much textbook. Yeah. And I've always just been massively into food and always thought I'll definitely try it out. So you're seeing food as an opportunity to express your creativity like? I guess so. Yeah. I guess. Um, and it's sort of great sort of going into it quite being like, it's crazy. Like here's your own kitchen. Off you go. First time round. <laughs> I was just like, Did you okay. always have that feeling you were going to end up working with your brother? Well, it was it was always like a trial, wasn't it? It was like, will this work? Um, didn't want to sort of like force anything. Did you always get on anyway as kids and stuff? Are you quite no. close? Or? No, we are. We are. Yeah. Obviously, we I'm just asking, like, me and my brother couldn't work together. Neither of my brothers, <laughs> n- none, I've, all three of us couldn't work together. <laughs> <laughs> so it's quite unique. So that's why I'm kind of asking that. <laughs> but I think it works. I think because we sort of have our own freedom within what we do. Does he and kind of leave you, well. the kitchen's yours and that's it? Yeah, to a certain extent. <laughs> um, but no, it's gone It's gone well. And here we are now, still like a year and a half down the line. So how did you learn to cook the pizzas? Was it a lot of trial and error or did you speak to anyone that, you know, that does the pizzas? Um, or? I mean, a lot of reading, a lot of eating, <laughs> uh, a lot of just, you. I mean, like pizza, you can spend an eternity watching people make pizza and talking about pizza and all the different styles yeah um and it was sort of just like 
here's here's a dough mixer off we go and we sort of when we started the kitchen wasn't quite as decked out as it is now so we had the oven we had a mixer and like a basic kitchen but it's sort of through that process of not having too much i sort of learned a lot of like managing dough creating different styles of dough like reacting to this like this building gets very hot in summer and very cold in the winter yeah um so managing and that without like a big storeroom for all our dough we had to sort of you have to adapt when you're baking um to the environment so i learned a lot and then finally got confident with where we were at with the dough and our sort of pizza making ability um they just felt like the right time especially with the uh, like sort of like the pizza market exploding in birmingham yeah, it seems to be loads of places have cropped up now. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, it's great because they've got, well, there's on Bennett's Hill, there's obviously the Frankamanka and Rudy's. Which yeah, sort of Rudy's is good. Neapolitana style. And then you've got, well, along with Polly and Kings Heath, we just sort of saw a gap in the market with slice shops, basically. No one was doing big. And I feel like like going bigger, it sort of suits the like dig brew tap room. Like we've got, big beer benches you know it's a place where everyone comes with their friends for a, and stays for the whole night so we wanted to sort of take that sort of bring your friends bring your family was that sort of the angle with the size because they're 20 inches the pizza aren't yes they? yeah so the angle was to just get people sitting around yeah because yeah, i'd I mean, cane like, one of them by myself i reckon <laughs> i've seen well there's a few people who've tried and they've got down to like final two slices i've not seen anyone complete a whole one yeah have you thought of doing a challenge we thought that but i have seen food challenges before and it's sort of <laughs> it's not it's nah. not a pleasant sight is it? <laughs> no no it's not normally <laughs> um yeah, they're quite tacky as well aren't they? yeah let's yeah. face it it's not uh, what you're about here really no 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 but um <laughs> well, we try we pretend <laughs> um but yeah and i guess as well with the like tap room getting busier and the demand in the kitchen when we were doing the small pies <coughs> it would you know a table of 10 would come in we'd have to make 10 different pizzas for them whereas they can come in they can share three pizzas have try the whole menu between them um and it's sort of just we tried it out a bit and it just seemed to work seemed to fit better was it something you'd seen in new york ollie maybe and brought back or because it's like a massive thing in new york isn't it the, the that was one of my favourite parts of New York. You could just grab a slice while you were walking. Yeah. Like. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like the dollar slice is, is like a lifesaver. And I think the thing that I kind of noticed, not it wasn't like conscious about pizza in New York, but definitely kind of absorbed it and, and unconsciously and, and realised it when we were talking about what it is that we'd like to do is like there's there's such a rich history for pizza as it's moved around the world and changed as it's moved around the world. And, and that that's a kind of, it, it mirrors and it's similar to the history of beer. And you kind of, you learn about different beer styles coming from different areas because that's the kind of way that the water is made up there. And it's perfect for making darker beers or it's perfect for making pale ales and bringing out hot flavors or bringing out more of the multi flavors. And, and it just seemed, you know, when, I remember when, when we kind of had that realization that we that you could talk about both of these things in this kind of like migratory kind of sense. We we're like, oh wow, yeah, like that's genius. We're the first people to ever think of this. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, 
And then also going back to like the the reason that we've gone with the, the big ones as well is that a lot of it was down to necessity really. Like we we first started doing the larger pizzas when we knew there was going to be huge demand for them so if there's like a massive booking or like a party or like there's a football match and we're going to get loads of people in in such a short amount of time or we've done an event where people are going to be eating a lot of pizza we've always gone bigger because it's just far more efficient with the the equipment that we have um and then we you know we sort of did the maths really and we're just like well we can sort of bring down waiting times because sometimes people have to wait a long time for a pizza um and kind of and do it do it that way really and also it's just big and stupid and exciting and people get excited when they see a huge huge pizza coming their way yeah um which is similar to like the kind of what we want to do with the beers really it's like we want people to you know we don't want people to come here and whilst it's really ex- hap- like makes you so happy when you see someone go i'll have the same again please when they drink one of your beers usually that's like, great that they've kind of like they've stuck on that one um in the tap room because we have so many on and, and we kind of like want people to kind of try all of them. Like we've built the kind of beer menu around like people getting excited about what they're seeing. Like, Oh God, I really want to try that. I really want to try that. And kind of kid in a candy shop really. And I think it's the, nice the, the exciting food. Yeah. And like having like that exciting element with the food as well, like it, it, it adds to it really. And it kind of does justice to like the, the, the huge amount of work that Harry and his team have been putting in for the, last 18 months or so and it, and then i guess as well what has helped is kind of you know you say there's is that kind of like creative side of people's personalities gets to come out through the food and through the beer and and it's it's kind of aided by the scientific kind of grounding that you know i've worked with a few people in the kitchen and and what i found as is really important similar with the brewery is to kind of like really really figure out like how many variables you can control to kind of start to play with them and start to to make changes because unless you can control as many variables as possible like it doesn't matter how creative you want to be if if you don't know what you're doing it's it's just you're just changing everything and you'll never ever ever kind of be able to progress um so we kind of like you know harry has been able to kind of go through that process of like I'll change one thing, see what I can learn with that, change the next thing, see what I can learn with that, react to like the fact that the building is now at 40 degrees Celsius and everyone's dying. So obviously that's a scientific thing coming into play. Yeah, and without that kind of like scientific kind of like eye, then you're never going to be able to kind of grapple that. Um, and it's the same with, with brewing really. It's like the the equipment is, it's it's amazing to look at. And from a layman's point of view, it looks extremely high tech, but in reality it's just kind of like it's very 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 manual and there's a lot of um opportunities to add kind of loads of variables that you don't really realize you're doing that's the challenge that we have in the brewery is to try and limit the amount of chaos that's getting produced when we're when we're doing it and then once we get a control of that then we can start to be like actually i kind of like these flavors like let's let's add it at this point and see if we can target things so where do the flavour inspirations come from for the pizza? Because it's not a massive menu. How many pizzas do you have? So we have four pizzas on. Um, so obviously we do like, we have a cheese and tomato, which we've named after, not Queen Margarita, after Hildegard von Bingen, which was a 12th century abbess who sort of was the first woman or the first person to sort of scientifically document the effects of hops and herbs. Um and obviously like beer drinking back in the 12th century. So we sort of 
learnt about Hildegard von Bingen uh, a few months ago with the through the opera, the beer opera, Bess. Um, and we sort of just like used her. Um, so we have four four flavors. Sort of initially, it was meant to be rotating monthly, but um, after the launch, I said there is no no <laughs> way I am putting myself through that again every month. So uh, quarterly menu, we're thinking um, short menu, but sort of exciting pizzas is sort of what we're doing because especially with like the big twenty inch bases, I know it sort of gives you a platform to like try a lot more things because people can have it by the slice and they can have half and half of things that they would never normally be able to get on a pizza. I was going to say the menu, like other than the first cheese tomato one, the rest are not strange. They've got a lot of interesting elements to them that you don't normally find on a pizza. Yeah. Um, I guess that's sort of, for me as well, I wanted to learn as much as I could. And I sort of, with the little pies, got to a point where I wasn't actually... You know, it was just sort of like plain sailing almost. So, you know, with the bigger ones, we were able to cook a lot more things in the kitchen, you know, cooking some big joints of meat. So we got a brisket pizza, making our own cola barbecue sauce, doing like sloppy joe bases and experimenting with sort of making things vegan as well. So we've got a full vegan menu. Um, and just going from there, so it just it allows me to be a lot more creative in the kitchen, try new things, and actually learn other things apart from just pizza, which which was good. But also from when I've been, you know, eating pizza, sort of, that's the type of pizza I get excited by is like, you know, like a Philadelphia cheesesteak pizza or something like that. Yeah, something that, you know, sounds great. <laughs> whereas you know, you can like, and there's obviously like the classics, and we will always go back to the classics. Like my favorite pizza probably is a pepperoni still. Yeah, um, you know, but every other pizza place does that. So we just, yeah, going from there, really. And it's not, you know, we are do want to do a lot of things in the future, not just 20 inch pizzas. We want to do Detroit, like tray baked pizzas. Um, I do at one point want to, I've been tr trialing a Chicago deep dish. Oh, yeah. Um, which is a lot harder than yeah, <laughs> I initially thought. Um, but just, you know, sort of experimenting with things and going from there and keep keep it changing because that's what excites me and that's what, you know, seems to be going well so far. I was going to say, yeah, I came I came to come to the opening night and I looked, put my head in and I just, <laughs> the whole place was absolutely heaving. So there's obviously a demand for it. Yeah, I mean, the response has been great. It's been, well, it was a lot of, obviously it's a lot of hard work leading up to it. Um, but it's, you know, ever since it's it's been fantastic great atmosphere in the tap room um i mean it's just as long wait times but there's probably twice as many people in here now so yeah but no yeah, it's been it's been great and we're going to keep going we've got some specials lined up for christmas which we're excited by and then sort of the new menu launch in the new year but yeah it's going so you well. must just be constantly thinking of ideas for pizza yeah that's like the thing i've day, got like every a day. big a massive spreadsheet on my on my computer with all the things that I want to try. And obviously, we're always going to have a cheese and tomato and then sort of a house pizza on the old menu, um, which is sort of like a four cheese with like Stilton, almonds and honey. We've sort of named that one Bridget um, and we're sort of going to change that up every month. So this for the launch, we changed that to like a smoked cheddar with um, 
like a maple ricotta stuffed crust, maple syrup, hazelnuts. Um, and it's just like something a bit different. You know, you can have half and half, have like your, your meat feast or your brisket one. And then it's nice to sort of have a break and have like something that's slightly savory, but sweet to cut through. And it works well, you know. But there, go from there. Push not, the boundaries of yeah. pizza. You're not going down the gluten-free route. I have been trialing gluten-free. Yeah. Um, I haven't actually got something that I'm like super happy with at the moment um, because I'd rather release it when it's ready to be released. But yeah, no, it's something we definitely want to do. We get asked probably every week about gluten-free. I mean, it's hard when the name is dough. Yeah. And it's bread-based, but no. It's sort of one of them things you expect pizza to have gluten. And it's yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. like a main element. Um, but no, it's definitely something we're working on. And it's like, I mean, we've spent a lot of time developing the glu- um, the vegan menu, which we're actually super happy with. Um, and that's the response to that's been really great as well, actually. So it's going from there. I mean, we've increased, you know, we've got twice as many people in the kitchen now. So we've got a great team. How many people do you have? So there's four of us in total now, which is really nice because it sort of means we can bounce off each other a bit more and the hours are spread out a bit more. So it's not so soul-destroying having to uh, tidy the kitchen on your own after 14 hours in the kitchen. But no, it's going well and we're excited. We're sort of just sort of keeping our heads down. Now it's the busy time leading up to Christmas, doing what we do best and then who knows for the new year. Um... Yeah. So the branding for dough and obviously the whole place, Dig Brew, where does that all come from? Because the pit, on the, you look at the dough menu, it's a very sort of gothic sort of... Yeah, vibe. I mean, it's sort of... Where did it start? I guess the branding for the, the medieval opera, Bess. A lot of the research was done. Oh, God. Um, yeah, so the, the, the kind of the... The branding for dough is is as kind of a research led, and I, th- I say research from like a kind of a aesthetic point of view, research led um, process. Um, we got involved with an opera company who were writing an opera about a woman brewing in medieval England. Um, so we started to look at a lot of like medieval art, uh, like tapestries and wood carvings. And, and and that kind of we kind of built up a big kind of bank of inf- like information and, and pictures that we were using and then like pictures that we'd kind of done ourselves based on that. And we, we started that sort of February of last year, worked on it throughout the spring and the summer. And, and then it was during the spring and the summer that we were talking about dough and it, it just felt very kind of natural in the end. I feel like, you know, going back to like what Harry was saying about the the choices involved in doing a smaller menu with pizzas that have kind of got their own title, not just like what the ingredients are um, and, and the kind of the toppings is, is, is a far more involved kind of like cooking process, kind of like there's a day's worth of cooking that goes into preparing the toppings and then they're kind of assembled onto the pizza. So it's, it's a kind of a lot more of a... Um, I don't know what the right word is, but like, uh, it's a lot more Baroque, you know, there's a lot more like fancy frills and like little kind of like customizations of of certain things like, oh, we can stuff that pepper and it'll do that. And then we can do a stuffed crust on this pizza because we feel like that's going to add to the 
the menu as a whole rather than it just being like a dominoes like do you want jalapenos with that do you want this with that you know it's kind of like there's a and the um they're kind of heavily involved and kind of embellished imagery that you get with like medieval works kind of suited that i think i want to say something yeah and it's like um when we started looking into like medieval history and all the stories and like the fairy tales, it's sort of where, where we were going with the food. Like each pizza is sort of telling a story, I guess, to a certain extent. It's sort, sort of like places that I've had, things I've eating, experiences I've had have sort of influenced what goes on the pizza. Um, so like, for example, the Kenneth Sean Carson is named after my friend's dad who invited me to his barbecue and cooked me a Joe for the first time. So it's sort of drawing on experiences and things like that and sort of telling a story on in one sort of plate and that sort of you know medieval stories and everything like that and like obviously pizza was never medieval england but i think as soon as bread was being made people were putting tasty stuff on it so (laughs) that's basically what we're doing um and it's such like a rich a rich history and like there's so much content just to tap into. We sort of, I've gone in there and we've just loved it. So we're just exploring that. And, you know, no one else seems to be doing it. No, I haven't seen it on any of the products. So we're all in with it. And it's, I mean, it's like, we really like it. So yeah, it looks really, really good. To be honest. <coughs> we're really it's happy. Yeah. It's colorful and it's, well, that's the got thing. A nice vibe it? to it as well. Yeah. But no, we do. We've, we've worked hard on it, really. I mean, Kieran, who's not here. He spent a lot of time and was super happy with it. So, who does the drawings for it and everything? I um, see. So yeah, like Harry said, um, Kieran is uh, a person like very central at Dig Brew, and we we do all of our all of our design work is done in house and collaboratively between between all of us really. And it's Kieran who drives that in our team. Um, he's the kind of Photoshop whiz and the one that does all of the drawings and pulls it all together for us. So they did all the taps and the cans as well. Yeah, that's all done here. Um, and you know, like like Harry said, like with the, the the names kind of having relevance to to kind of like his personal history, or you know, Hildegard von Bingen is like related to the history of beer making and Spire of the Dragon. Some people may have heard of before. You know, that's an ethos that that is carried out throughout Dig Brew and Doe. Like Dig Brew's branding is slightly cleaner than Doe's, I'd say, um, or less baroque, more kind of pretentiously um but the kind of the thing that that we kind of really want to try and do is is not to give kind of like um throwaway kind of names and titles to things um which you might not believe when you see kind of like the random names that we come up with but that's just because we have to come up with a lot um we kind of we do really want it to be connected to this kind of this this web of of people and, and experiences and histories that that kind of brings us all together. So there's like so much conversations about different inspirations for different things, and then that gets folded back in, and then there's more research, and we find more images that we want to use, and then that gets kind of digested, and then and then in the end we kind of hope that like something comes out of it. Um, so hopefully, you know, ten years from now, that kind of that history of all these things that we've been making can, can you know is is, is going to be like a rich and fertile kind of like source of of kind of information that we can continue to draw on really we kind of want to build something that starts to have its own references from within itself um which is just a very long kind of slow process and we've kind of steered away from 
building up like a bank of names and a bank of designs that we can just pull from like well that looks cool and that sounds funny so people will remember that let's do that people get told off for doing that here as much as they get told off for making decisions without thinking about them in the kind of production pro like processes um yeah we take it really really seriously so can't give you any answers at the moment but in a decade there might be <laughs> some clear thread of of intention that 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 makes a lot more sense it's a chin on the names there this might be a silly question but it's something i've just always wondered as mm-hmm. someone who like i don't drink at all so i don't don't know much about craft beer what's the whole crack with the hell you see a lot of beers that are called hell or hella or hell yeah so um there's there's a, a german style of lager called hellas uh which is where it, where it comes from and hell in german this is where i get this wrong but i'm pretty sure it means like pale or light um that's what it means in my head and that's the kind of style of things and it it's just i think it's always stuck around because it's such a strong word really that 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 um or at least that's what you know. It's like Camden Hells use it because it, it, you know, you just stick hell on something and it. it yeah, I mean, I just it, seen it. I've seen it on most breweries. I was like, how come yeah, everyone yeah. still uses this word hell? Like, what's? I just never understood it. So I thought I'd take this opportunity to ask the question yeah, yeah, for yeah. someone who. Would so it's know. just like a light beer, really pale beer, and it's a sort of the 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 working man's lager of Bavaria. Yeah. I just assumed if I didn't know, somebody else wouldn't know. So mm. one of our listeners probably wouldn't yeah. know. So it's basically like the German state, German porter. <laughs> no, 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 like German, German. Oh yeah, I know it's nothing. I know it's lager, but I'm oh, just saying, you know, as it's in for the working class, porter's yeah, yeah, obviously yeah, yeah, for the yeah, working yeah. class. So yeah, so that that's link. I know it's not the same. No, no, no. I, did, so I used to drink, so I did know what they used to taste like. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. What does 2020 hold for Dig Brew and Doe? That's a great question. Um, well, we, like I said before, from a beer point of view, we hope that we can improve as much as we did in 2019. Um, that's that's the ambition, really. Like we're 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 really excited about the beers that we're making, and and uh, when we compare them to what we were making before, I wouldn't. I wasn't. I'm not going to say that we were a bad brewery, but I mean, now we're a good brewery. But like, it it's really heartening to see us improving and learning so much. Hopefully we can continue that. We've got lots of kind of ideas in the back of our heads as to as to what we can do in terms of upping production. We're very much at capacity at the moment. We'd like to squeeze out a little bit more. Um, we'd very much like to find a way that we could serve our beers to customers as often as possible. You know, I said about 80% of it is served in-house. And if we're going to make more of it, then we need to sell even more of it in-house or find a second house. And then aside to that as well, like I said, is like, you know, there's this hugely inspiring British craft beer kind of world, really. And like, we want to take part in that as much as possible and, and kind of and, 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 and collaborate with as many people as possible and, and have as many people who are interested on a tiny level or a huge level drink our beers and kind of make a decision as to whether or not they think that we're, we're good <laughs> and whether we should be trusted with a brewery um or whether we're pretenders and we need to to pack it in um but that's exciting is that something you feel often or do you, do you ever feel like that um like imposter syndrome it's a big i wouldn't say full-blown imposter syndrome sometimes sometimes yeah and like and and, and we've we've had the privilege of, of of winning a competition which got us to go to like uh quite a few kind of 
internationally renowned beer festivals and pour our beer and we got to pour alongside some of you know the kings of british well international craft beer like finback and verdant and we didn't go in there kind of like some sort of street fighter contest that we were going to be like better but it was it was like really you know it was really exciting to see us alongside those things and it was very much like this is this is the goal like you know they've probably got 500 beers on you so you got to make sure you learn as much as they do in your next 500 and if you're pump you know if you're making beers that quality then you can be happy maybe you can do better than that um and then you just start to look at your own thing and think shit i got a lot i got a lot i need to get back to the brewery and make some more beer <laughs> i need to crack on with this yeah i was just i just asked the imposter thing because i like I'm not just saying this because we're sitting here in front of you. I would say Dig Brew is probably one of the top breweries. We get a lot of people saying like, "Have you tried Dig Brew? Have you had a Dig Brew?" It's around Birmingham anyway. Like the people we talk to, they always say this is the place, you know. So if you still feel imposter syndrome, like it's quite normal for somebody else to feel it. If you know what I mean, like we might have listeners who are only just starting out. The little kind of maybe they're brewing at home and have inspiration to go and start up on their own and if they can hear it someone like you who they'll probably be thinking like think yeah, through yeah. the ones like and if they still feel like that then i won't feel so bad about it you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. well there's i mean there's certainly been times in this process where you like you do question what you do it and there's you know like all it takes is is sort of like three mistakes in a row where something hasn't really come off on the beer or or something's happened and you just don't know what it is and then you start you know you start worrying about all these other things as well. Um, and then I think as well, like we've kind of, you know, the, the beer, the, the marketplace in general is, is a big kind of scary place. And it, there's, there's, we've made mistakes. We certainly have made mistakes in terms of like what beers to kind of brew for certain people. And, and there's, there's been opportunities where they're like, look, like you can make the, you know, you can get your beer to like X amount of tens of thousands of people if you do this. And then we've agreed to it and we've kind of sent recipes off and we brewed a beer in Belgium and and kind of we gave up a lot way too much control really as to as to the finished product and then we we kind of we'd signed off on that before before we we had chance to really kind of decide whether or not we were happy putting our name to it and it that's kind of come back and it's not come back in a wholly negative way but in hindsight you look at it you think thing is this isn't us like we've had 75,000 people drink this beer but we haven't even had 75,000 people in our tap room <laughs> so it didn't really make any sense and it was perfectly fine but we're not really going for fine we're not we're not really going for like categorically good we're going for like like we said that journey and that storytelling and like people to get involved in what we do and see and appreciate what we do and see that we're trying and we're learning and growing not just sort of like is loads of beer and is loads of customers and is loads of money we didn't get any money for it <laughs> anyway. Um, but there's lots of lots of people drinking it and lots of people, yeah. You know, and it's nice that people can kind of, you know, can get that beer in love, but but it didn't feel like organic or true. It felt like we'd faked it, really. Um, that was something we got from winning the competition. So that's something that, you know, we just learn as we go and do it smarter next time and be more true to ourselves. <laughs> Thanks very much, Harry. Harry's going to take much. off. Thank I, you. I have to run. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. See you in a bit. The only thing I was going to say is um, I usually ask chefs and other kind of distillers and stuff we've had on, like if they yes. could just give like a piece of advice to someone starting out 
do you have any advice that you like just one piece of advice that you might have wished you had when you were still brewing in your university digs or so somebody listening now who might be just doing a bit of a home brew and they're looking to get to where you are what advice would you give them um i think if i had to give one piece of advice there's obviously um there's there's the the age old kind of like aim aim big which is all well and good um but when you get into but also forget that because that's not my advice um my advice <laughs> my advice is is like is and i found this really difficult i mean you know being an art student i found it really really difficult to like work on a day-to-day level um because the day-to-day level never really felt like it was matching up with like the grand ideas as to what we were going to be able to do and or what I was going to be able to make. And so a bad day could kind of set you off. You know, it could just derail the whole project. Um, and the the great thing about brewing and, and, and kind of having it as something that I was doing alongside on like a really small level when I was at university, I'm not going to pretend that I was brewing five or six times a week. Um, but then developing that and that becoming kind of my profession is that you you can kind of make an improvement like every single kind of time you do it and that's kind of the aim really and it's sort of that's kind of become the mantra as to everything that we've kind of got here really now and um that's true on like a tiny level and i think it's it's something i wish i would have had while i was while i was at university and i was always kind of like you know at some point it's going to click and you're going to be everything that you kind of want to be but actually it's more just you do monday and then you come back and you do Tuesday and then you try and do better on Wednesday and, and, and then just kind of like evaluate. And like, if it hasn't gone that well, then fine. That's great. It's never going to, it's like this process, you will never feel like it's gone well. You'll always feel like you could do better. Um, but then you can kind of look back and you can see that improvement. Um, and that's kind of what I felt, you know, the last year or so, I like really have like stuck to that because I haven't really had a choice because it's a business now and people work here and they need wages and all the rest of it. And, and it's forced me into that. And I wish I'd have learned it five years ago. So you just got to keep at it, haven't you, every day? Just keep at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I know sometimes with the podcast, like, genuinely in a, on a day-to-day, I think, oh, yeah, I'm just going to keep building slowly, keep doing what we're doing, build slowly. slowly. But then sometimes you wake up and get a mild panic and think, oh, my God, what, why haven't we got, like, 10,000 listeners? Yeah. And then you try and work out how you can get that 10,000 listeners tomorrow. But, yeah. And then you wake up the next day and realize, oh, I don't know what I was thinking yesterday. I'm just happy enough, plodding along, building, 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 work every day, work every day, work it. And then eventually you will get to where you want it to be. I think that's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. the same thing. Yeah, I think it goes back to like what, what I said like previously about like things that haven't gone that well is is it's, 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 it's things that have kind of dragged my mind away from that, that ethos of just, like plodding along sounds negative, but plodding along and, and you're kind of like improving slowly because you see the people that you look up to and from the outside, it just looks like this perfect storm where like everything's just gone so well for them and it hasn't gone well for you. When actually it's just they're further along, even if they're maybe even like a younger brewery than you, like they're further along in their development and all you can be in control of is developing. So you've got to keep at that and just keep on developing. Um, and then occasionally things happen and, and, and you kind of get a big kind of jump up in that development. Um, 
But if it sounds too good to be true, sometimes it, it can be. Um, so like things like where we have had these opportunities, we're like, oh, wow, this is going to be, this is going to be that. And then you forget about your roots or you forget about what you should be doing. You, you get burnt. Um, what's it? Is it Icarus? Icarus flew yeah, too close yeah, to the sun. Yeah, 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 it's Icarus, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, are there any events coming up that people we can talk about? We will launch Chapter 2, which will be the next kind of four pizzas, and we'll have a few events for that, but we'll, we'll release more details closer to the time with that. And then other than that, it's just kind of keep on going, really, and keep on pushing that story along, and hopefully people will kind of come along and see what we've been up to, or find our beers out in the wild and and kind of get on board that way. Uh, the other thing is like we've got this ongoing relationship with um, Infinite Opera, who are kind of like our house opera company now. We're doing one for Halloween, um, but then we've also got next year more operas coming out in the spring. We've got a trilogy of operas over three months. How do um, they go down? Are they quite popular? Yeah, they're really. It's crazy how popular they are. Um, I mean, I, I, literally, when you say it, and I've read about them, I've always thought, yeah, that'd be cool to go to. Mm. But I, in my head, cannot. Like sitting in the venue here, I've been here loads of times anyway because I just love yeah, the yeah, place. Yeah. But I don't, can't even picture like the setup or like what's it like? Is the bar still running and people getting up and getting beers while the opera's on? Or um, yeah, so well the way way it works is we build a stage inside the brewery and the, we use that as the the backdrop and we build a set around it. The bar is still on, um, but generally we don't want to keep you know the opera's not too. It's not like going to the opera with a yeah. hundred pound ticket. It's like. <laughs> 10, 15 quid, and then there's lots of intervals, so you can get drinks and stuff like that. And then, like, we bring drinks to the thing as well. And, and it's, like, a really big event for everyone who who's involved in Digbury, really. So, like, a lot of the staff, if they're not, you know, working on the bar or if, like, they're working on the bar, but it's not, like, they're not working that night, like, everyone kind of comes anyway. And it's, like, a, you know, it's, it's a real, like, kind of, like, get-together, really, for a lot of, a lot of people. Um, it's not that you have to be, like, in an in-group to come, but... But yeah. there's a real kind of like community sort of atmosphere. Sort of yeah, 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 yeah. Probably much come to everyone you do. Yeah. So it's like you know, no one will order a drink for 20 minutes because the opera's on, and then everyone will try and go to the bar at the same time. But then there'll be, you know, 15 of us will jump on the bar and serve everyone. So, yeah. And it only lasts sort of like two hours or so, and then it kind of goes back to normal really, and just back to dig brew and dough as usual, just with a massive like seating arrangement <laughs> in the middle of it. All. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Ollie. That's been really good. No, thank Enjoy you very much loads. for coming. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Ollie. <laughs> <laughs>